Oh, Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love for us. Thank you for calling each one of us here this morning. We pray that you would be here with us, that you would guide us, that you would bless us with your near presence. Open our minds, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see you, that we may know that you're here with us. Pray for each one here today. I ask, Lord, that you may minister to them, that you may speak to them. They will hear your voice. They'll know that you love them. Be with this camp meeting. We've just been so thankful, Lord, for the rich outpouring of your spirit that you've given us. Yes, there's been rain, but Lord, there's also been the sweetness and the joy of your salvation amongst us, a joy that is not built on circumstance, but that's built on your enduring word, your promise to us. Thank you for the rainbow of promise that spanned the campground yesterday. It's another reminder that your promise is here with us. So bless this time now, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. How many of you were here yesterday? Maybe I should ask the other way. How many of you were not able to be here yesterday? Okay. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, we have, I asked yesterday about Sartrip Handbook. There's a little, uh, I just want to clarify that. Some had some questions. I said, if you came every session, I have a copy for you. You may already have a copy, uh, and you can take it and give it to a friend. If, if you have a friend here that wasn't able to be here every time, you can give it to them. <laughs> uh, but... I talked about the reason why I especially think this is so valuable is the whole content of it, and I encourage everybody to read through it. There's a mentor's guide that goes with it. This is built especially for new members that come into uh, the church, and yet I encourage all of our members to go through it. It's just such a rewarding experience. It helps to ground in, in the just basic essentials of being a Seventh-day Adventist. But in the back, there's also a Bible Spirit of Prophecy Correlated Reading Plan, which is worth more than gold, more than fine gold. Yes? Oh, even more of a plug for that discipleship handbook. Mm. It is a treasure. Amen. someone's eyes twinkle with the light of heaven it just does something to you and it's wonderful well within that it's just a also a reminder of accountability 
So we're going to talk just a few moments about some principles. I want to talk about scheduling, and then we're going to get into our devotion this morning. So, thinking here, I was going to wait. My, my dear wife was copying something for us, and I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But when you are beginning devotional life, some of the hardest things are to be consistent. I talked a little bit about that yesterday. You know, we jump into it, and then it's, you get going, and then you fall away. And then you, you hear a rousing message at church, and think, oh, I need to get back to it. And then you get back to it, and you start going, and then you slide back down. So I want to talk today about scheduling, accountability, and those things that can help to, to uh, protect us, as it were, from you know, sliding back into a life of inconsistent prayer and devotion. So part of the morning devotional life, before I talk about timing and all of that, is it is so important to have the other parts of your life preparing for <laughs> that morning. It's kind of like the Sabbath. If we were wanting to honor the Sabbath and all of that, when do we need to think about the Sabbath? Friday night, one minute before sundown? No. Or do we need to have time to prepare before the Sabbath? Sunday morning. Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, each week we're, we're looking always toward that high day of the Sabbath. And it's the same with our devotional life. We want to be preparing for that. And so the greatest preparation, of course, is preparing the night before. I talked about having your reading plan. You got your Bible. You have your notepad. You have your reading. You have your your card or your book or something that you're going to write your message in. You got your water already. How many drink water this morning? <laughs> All right. I'm proud of you. Wow, fantastic. So you want to have those things prepared the night before. Thank you. This is my dear wife, Shelly. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And, and then you want to prepare your thoughts and mind for that. And the way I believe it's best is to make sure we not just begin the day with the Lord, but we finish the day with the Lord. And I find that when I take time before I go to rest in the Word of God and in prayer, He prepares me to meet Him in a, in a much more wonderful way in the morning. So... How many of you have heard of something called the circadian rhythm? What does that mean? It's like our cycle, right? Our wake time, our sleep time. It can even deal with, you know, when you get hungry and those things. So I, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor or anything like that. I'm just telling you things that have worked for me. So... Yesterday, you know, I told you that 
for those of you who are new, I shared how the method I'm sharing is just what has worked for me. It's not the only way, it's a way, and there are, there are uh, ways that people have done devotionals that have been such a blessing to them. So I'm not saying this is the way to do it, but this is how it's been a blessing to me. I find that if I am consistent in the time that I get up each day, it makes a huge difference. I mean, tremendous difference. So if I plan to wake up at a certain time and, and meet the Lord in that time, I actually schedule that time with the Lord. It is maybe tough at first, but after the second day, the third day, the fourth day, after you're a week later, you don't even need an alarm clock or anything like that. You just wake up and it's such a, a help. So how many hours of sleep should we get per night? Seven to eight hours of sleep, right? And of course, some vary. I find that I need seven hours of sleep. Sometimes I don't get that. I try to get that because I want to be a good steward of, <laughs> of time. But as you know, and some others may have work that goes late, as a pastor, often you're not able to get home and get into bed at the best time. But ideally, I'm just telling you, this is kind of my schedule. My ideal time would be to wake up at 4.30. But depending on the time that I go to bed, my realistic time, I try to hit 5 a.m. Now, I'm not saying that's for, for you. That's just what I'm saying for me. For you, it may be 5.30. It may be 6. It may be 6.30. But I want to tell you something. If it gets too late, you're going to find that things are going to feel like they're crowding in and you're not going, it will work for a little bit, but those things will creep in. Do you know how many people call me at five o'clock in the morning? No one. <laughs> and if they do, it's an emergency, right? You know, at, at, in the early morning, do you know how much hustle and bustle there is in my household? Very little. <laughs> so it gives that sanctuary time, that time in my closet, you know, as it were, with the Lord. It may, for you, it may be, maybe all your kids are grown and all of that. It may be seven o'clock. But I want to encourage you, set that time where it is uninterrupted time. That is so very important. Because you'll find that the devil will do everything he can to disrupt that time. I, I think maybe I shared it last year, but when we have three children, our oldest is Elijah, and he's going to be a senior here at GLAW next year. And when he was a baby, he would wake up. Every time it seemed like I got up in the morning, he would wake up. And, and I feel bad because my wife had already been up in the night with him. So I would take him with me, and, and he would... <laughs> this is going to sound funny. But I had this uh, 
my father-in-law, we were poor students, okay? We couldn't turn on the heat very much. It was freezing in our house. And so my father-in-law had bought me for Christmas or something, bought this uh, heated boot thing. So I'd put my feet in there and turn it on in the morning when I'd study and to stay warm. But I'd take Elijah and I'd, you know, I'd be sitting in the chair and I'd stick him right down in that boot and he would just sit there. And, and I would have, you know, my... Uh, study and, and devotion time. And then as he grew, it moved from that little boot to the little thing where he'd sit there and watch me until it moved to a chair and he'd sit beside me and until he was about 10 years old. And, and then he was off on his own. And then a couple of years after, he must have been 12 or 13, he came to me and he asked if he could do his devotions with me again because he felt that he was he needed that accountability and you know, I just thought you know praise the Lord that I had that experience with with my son and we've taught all of our children you know to do personal devotions and there's no greater joy than to you know come out of your office you know call the family to family worship you know I knock on you know, their door, and they'll say, okay, I'm coming, I'm just finishing my devotions. I mean, just the, the blessing to hear that. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to, Shelly and I have to keep co you know, coaxing them and teaching them, but there is something about having that regular routine that just strengthens that, that even, you know, my son, it got to the place where he felt he was slipping, he missed that and he wanted to come back and get re-established in that routine of that and but if you're letting that time get too late if it hits to me if the sun is already brightly shining I missed it now I'm not saying maybe you're a shift worker or something like that but try to discipline yourself now, when you discipline yourself in the morning, what happens at night? Can you stay up to 1 o'clock in the, in the night? No. no, you have to go to bed so you can get up early. So early to bed, early to rise makes man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, I think there's a lot of truth to that, especially wealthy in the riches of heaven, for sure. <laughs> so you want to schedule. So I'm just going to kind of give you like my ideal schedule for me. I give it just as an example. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that if you get up at 5 o'clock, you're more holy than if you get up at 6.30. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> what I am saying, though, you want to schedule it and you want to get into a routine. After about a week, that routine, oh, it just, it's so natural. And there are times where I will get home later and I won't get as much sleep, but I try to still keep that morning time and ask the Lord to help me make it up. Maybe I can go to bed a little bit earlier the next night because I find that if I miss that time, and there are times that I do where I'll just, Lord, I need an extra hour this morning if I'm not feeling well or something like that. So I'm not trying to say that I'm the the perfect holy man. I'm not. But I aim to be up the same time each day. 
And what does that mean for weekends? You know what happens when Monday morning comes and you have a new routine? What do they usually call Mondays? <laughs> yeah, the, the blue Monday, right? Like, ugh, back to work or whatever. And a lot of that, I believe, is because our rhythm and cycle has changed and we have to force our bodies to get back on to that cycle. So I, I find that on the weekend, I can vary a little bit, maybe like half an hour. But if it's much more than that, I can really feel it. And so I try to stay consistent. So I, I like to try and be in bed by 10 o'clock. And, and I typically fall asleep very quickly. So, um, you know, I lay down and then, you know, lights out. And then I wake up uh, seven hours later. Ideally, I like to get up even a little bit earlier, and sometimes the Lord does wake me up a little bit earlier, but that's my ideal time. And sometimes it's like uh, the other morning here at Camp Meet, I got up at 5.16, and, and I thought, Lord, thank you for those extra 16 minutes. It felt real good today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I, I, what I'm trying to communicate is that it's not like it's not a, a rigid thing but you do want to try and keep yourself accountable to that because it, it's helpful it's helpful and you find in scripture over and over about Christ being in that place of prayer early in the morning and there was no one that was laboring so hard as our Savior. So that's that. So the morning, get on that, on that, on that cycle, set that time. You'll you know, set an alarm if you need. I used to have where I put a lamp timer on, especially in the winter time. Some of those early winter mornings are, were very hard for me to get up when I was first training myself. So I had a lamp timer, and when I'd have the lamp come on about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes before I'd have to get up and that'd shine and kind of wake me up. And that was very helpful. Now, you know, I don't need that now, but sometimes those winter months, I, you know, I, have, I got one of those uh, sunlight lamps. So when it's early in the morning in the winter time, I'll put that thing on and just blaring in me and oh, it's just, it's just, it's a big help as well. I also find that in the winter time, I'm just telling you a few principles because I believe that the devote, if we set the time with the Lord, it helps to govern almost every other aspect of our lives because it encourages us to live more healthfully <laughs> and take care of ourselves in a better way. But in the, in the wintertime in Michigan, I grew up in the south where the sun always shines just about. So in Michigan, it was so hard for me in the wintertime. I'd feel myself starting to get a little depressed from the cloudiness. But getting up early with that light on, having my devotional time, and then going and having time to exercise was just huge. So I thought I saw a hand here. Yes. In dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, <laughs> under the shadow of the Almighty. 
It, it probably could be. I think that we, we always want to find that secret place with the Lord. Abide in His presence. So, it's important to get that timing. Now, you also want to have the place of where you're going to be. So, for me, it's in my home office and I have everything there. I can shut the door, I lock the door, <laughs> and my family knows when they're there, you know, they'll fill the door of his lock. They just, they know that I am shut away and they will respect that. So I, I would communicate to your family, say, you know, this is my routine. I'm going to be spending this time with the Lord and I need you to help me. <laughs> But set the time. Get the place. I, I like having a familiar place because it just feels like home, you know? <laughs> so get that place, carve that place out, and have that place of worship with the Lord. So I'm just telling you my routine. So I get up, I drink my water, I have everything laid out. I have my time for devotion and prayer. And in our home, as soon as I finish that, we, I, we have family worship at 7 a.m. So I usually finish my time with the Lord. I come out. I call, honey, are you ready for worship? Yep, give me a minute. Knock on the doors. And we go down. We have family worship together. I'm just giving you a whole picture. Is that okay? <laughs> so... And then, then we have breakfast. I usually don't eat right then because then I usually head out the door and go for a run or a, a walk. I try to exercise an hour a day where I am, whether it's running or walking, running, just to get that fresh air and the, you know, it's the sight of nature. I'm telling you, these things put in combination will strengthen your, your uh, walk with the Lord. I'm just telling you because I, I want you to, you know, get exercise. I, I do want you to get exercise, but I do it, be, I'm telling you because I really feel it. It adds to the walk with the Lord. So, you know, I head out the door and... I don't want to always say rain or shine. Sometimes if it's really bad, then I'll use the treadmill we have downstairs. I even have in my office a walking treadmill with a little desk I built over. So when I'm studying, sometimes I can walk. And, but you know, sometimes I'll you know, take the umbrella, run out, or uh, if it's not too bad, I'll just you know, put on a raincoat. But the fresh air, the deep breathing, the scenery of God's creation, and... You know, I'm going out and I have all that fresh insight from the Lord in my mind and, and I'm moving and it's just helping to, to whatever, uh, concrete it into my mind. So if, if you can't run, then walk. Or if you can't walk, then get on a bike or something. Try to do some form of exercise. And I'm not telling you you have to do it right then. I'm just telling you what I do. Uh, so... And then after that, you know, I get home. It's a mad race to get ready and out the door. So and that's why I said, you know, ideally if I could get up a little earlier, it would work. Those days work a lot better because I have a little more time on the other end. But 
that's just a routine. And then you're off to the day. And your, what's your goal through the day? To share what you learned, at least with someone. You, you may not even be someone at work. You may have to call someone. You, you may text someone. I, I told you I joked last yesterday, you know, about don't just post it on Facebook. But absolutely post it on Facebook. But also try to share it personally <laughs> with someone. By the way, I did find my card from yesterday. It was in my book. And uh, does anyone remember what I shared yesterday? Before honor is humility. And then this is the second part that I, I uh, forgot, and I didn't want to miss this. The most childlike disciple is the most efficient in labor for God. Isn't that powerful? But this morning, uh, it's powerful. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to share it with you, but I'm not going to take time to explain it all. She says, pomp, riches, and honor cannot satisfy the heart. She goes on to say how we become mourners over disappointed hopes. We set these hopes and we mourn that they're not being reached. And they're not being reached because they're out of harmony with the Lord. We're seeking after those things that are not of God. And we, we're depressed and we're down, not because of necessarily the circumstance, but because of our own mind dwelling on things that shouldn't be dwelt upon. So you go through the day and you're sharing that with someone. You try to pray with someone. And of course, we're always looking to find someone who will study the truth with us. Amen? (laughs) So then as the day comes on, you come towards the conclusion of the day. Of course, you want to have evening family worship. Amen? That is something that I think probably has been one of the most neglected exercises in our church, our personal devotional life and our family devotional life. And we want to have those. Now, I'm not always at home for family worship at night. So if I'm not there, Shelly leads out. But usually for our evening family worship, we just, we read through you know, books of the Bible. So this year, we just finished Proverbs. We're now in Ecclesiastes. We're doing the more of the poetry books this year. In the morning this year, we're going through the devotional Maranatha. I didn't mention this, but our morning family worship is just, you know, five to ten minutes. It's short. But we pray together, we read the devotional together, and we sing a song together. But in the night, you know, there's a little bit more time, so we read through the scripture, we talk a little bit about that, we'll sing a song, and then we'll have our circle of prayer, and each one can pray during that time. So that's just a picture of that. Then, you know, if I, it depends on when I get, get home, that kind of dictates the time I have. You know, if I get home at, you know, 10.30, then I'm not going to spend, you know, as much time as if I get home at, you know, 9. But I like to take time to spend time in the, in the Word of God and uh, just meditate on that and prepare myself for the next day. But I want to talk just briefly about this because I think it is 
it's, I'm not saying one is greater than the other. They're all important, but they all kind of fit together. And I'm just giving you the whole picture because I believe that when we get the, everything in order, in a line, it just, it's just a strength to us. And it helps keep us going. So in the, in the nighttime, you know, I'll read from the scriptures and I'll have prayer, but I also want to think through the day, saying, Lord, I'm examining myself. And the Bible talks about examining ourselves, whether we are still in the faith. <laughs> so I want to I think and meditate, Lord, how did I serve you this day? Maybe I was able to share, you know, my... my uh, treasure for the day with someone. So I'm going to be praying for them. Lord, please be with this person. Be with this coworker. Oh, I ran into this person. Lord, please be with them. But then I'm reviewing my actions. Lord, did I rightly represent you in this? Did I do that? And I'm praying, Lord, please forgive me for that. Help me to not do that again. <laughs> Help me, Lord, to be like this. So examining that. I think it's very important that each night before we go to bed, we examine ourselves. Then, of course, spend time with the Word of God. This is something that I made some years ago. It's just one page. And what this is, is it is every chapter in the Bible. So it says Genesis, and then it has little boxes up to 50, because there are 50 chapters in Genesis. It goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I just keep this in my Bible. And know what my goal is? To go through this in one year. And so this is outside of the devotional time. Because the devotional time, I am just spending that thoughtful hour and letting the Lord speak to me in a, in a very personal way. But I don't want to also neglect just the broad study of God's Word. So... I have this. And so what, can, what I love about this is that I can go that night, like right now I'm in Isaiah. And I didn't read Jeremiah. I mean, I'm not going to read Jeremiah after Isaiah. I don't have to just read in order because I have this. You know, after Isaiah, I want to go and read the book of Acts. So, because I haven't read that yet. So I can just check it off. And on like a Sabbath afternoon, if I have a little time, I'll say, oh, I want to go, you know, read. And I, you know, I can go and I'll say, oh, what do I feel like reading? Oh, I'm going to go read the book of Lamentations. Just five chapters. You know, I can do that in, you know, less than an hour, you know. And then I can check that off. And so I can kind of watch where I am through the year. And at the end of the year, I can see. This is kind of helps me stay accountable, too. And so I made a copy of that for you. You don't have to use it, but if you want to, I think it'll be a help to keep track of where you are in reading the Bible. So I have that for you. I'm going to pass this out just so you can see what I'm talking about. I make it a little small just because I like to fold it and fit it in my Bible. If it's too small for you, let me know and I can give you a bigger one. <laughs> I'm going to hand this right here to you. Oh, thank you. And I hand this one here. I, I also trim it. You can see mine is not as large as that, so I just trim around. So that is a, a great blessing too. So it just helps to keep track.
So you may say, oh, I'm going to read, like I haven't finished all of the whole book of Psalms. I'm on, so I've, I've finished up through Psalm 77. So I don't usually just read through the book of Psalms. I like to read one and meditate on here and read one here, meditate it on there. But I know where I've read and what I haven't read. And it just helps to make all the way through the Bible. So that's there for you. And we're going to get into our devotional time. So I'm going to pass this out while I'm finishing up explaining some of these things. There's another thing to pass around because we've got to get moving here. And I had a card, you know, I passed out. I'm going to pass it out again too. Sometimes I like a little colorful card. So <laughs> I usually use white, but sometimes I use a different color. So I've, I'll give you the choice today. But grab a card. And we'll pass those around. One more thing to pass around. We're going to take one card and pass it around. So as we go through today, you're going to want to highlight something, underline something, and then you're going to write this down. I want to challenge you to not leave this room today until you've written something down on your card, okay? So... As the evening comes, you know, you have that time to just reflect, examine, have prayer in the Word of God, and then go to rest. Now, I understand, because I have it too, there, there are things that I have to accomplish. You know, I need to go through emails, I need to return calls, you know, sometimes I want to check the weather, <laughs> or take a quick peek uh, you know, at, at the news. But I don't, in our home, we don't have a TV. We just, I just look at, you know, I go to a news site on the internet. But it doesn't matter whether it's the TV or the internet, those things can rob you of time with the Lord. And we'll find, we'll find it hard to sit down and carve out just a half hour in the evening to spend in prayer and reading the Word of God where you can sit down at the computer and before you know it, a half hour is gone. So in the evening, try and also carve that time out. And I know, I know those transitions. You know, I remember when we as a family got rid of the TV. I, I know how hard that was in that transition. I think some are coming around this side. If not, I'll have to print more. I'll print more and I'll bring, uh, I'll, bring, I'll bring a stack tomorrow too. Did anyone need a larger one? Okay, maybe I'll make it a little larger tomorrow for you. But just look at, at the, look at it from heaven's perspective in the great controversy. What is most important is that I'm grounded with the Lord. The other, I find that what I thought I needed to know in, in the news and all of that, that I could look in, you know, a minute or two. And just like, okay, you know, the world's not falling apart. So <laughs> I can look at that and glance. If there's something that I, you know, as a pastor, you know, I want to be understanding the times. I want to be a keen observer of the times, but I don't want all of that to rob me of my time in the Word of God either. So, I probably spent too much time on that, 
But I just wanted to give you the whole picture of what a cycle is, because if, if it's just, I'm going to get up and do this, I know because I've done it. You get going and then you slide away. But if you can order your life in all these other ways, it just, uh, it just helps to, to keep the other things in place. Okay, does everyone have this? We're going to work through this. If you weren't here yesterday, what we're doing is we're just going through and modeling. We're doing a devotional time together. And I said this yesterday. I'm going to have to say it again today. Hopefully tomorrow I won't uh, spend as much time explaining things. Now, you'll want to get highlighters. and Now, some are very... I, I've you know, known a lot of people that are very good at color coding their Bibles and, and all those things. I told you yesterday that I, you know, I'm not really the journaling type. <laughs> and I'm not really the color coding type either. <laughs> sometimes I'll use red. Sometimes I'll use green or blue. It doesn't matter to me. I just like variety. But you want a good highlighter. Now, if you're going to highlight in your Bible you don't want to use a regular highlighter because it'll bleed. But these ones, these gel highlighters, they work okay if you're careful. But a pencil, a colored pencil works very good. So, but you want to have a highlighter or something because you want to be highlighting those things that jump out at you. So when you're coming back and looking through, and what's neat too is when you go back through and you look at like if you go through, say, the Desire of Ages, the next second time you go through it, you'll be able to see what, was, what jumped out to you then. And then you'll see other things that you didn't see before. It's just neat to be able to have that record. Okay, so we have our Bibles, we have our sheet, we have our paper, have our water, take a drink. Notepad for stray thoughts or other things, right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we open your word, please speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can share this time here together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to go to the Bible and First, Matthew chapter 4, we're looking at, this is looking at the call by the sea. And we're going to look at just Matthew today. Tomorrow we're going to try and do, I'm going to try and do the entire thing. I don't want to just do partial every time. Tomorrow we're going to do the entire thing, but today... Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 18. This is looking at the call. What's really neat about this too is that because it's correlated, you're, you'll be reading, usually you'll be reading the accounts in Scripture that match this. So you get to see, like we looked at yesterday, Matthew 4.4 4 is also the same in Luke 4.4. 4. So those things are neat that you get to see where and how one gospel explains it from a little different perspective than another gospel and those kinds of things. But here we are, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, 
walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So you're letting your mind imagine the scene. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I'm just, if you weren't here yesterday, I'm just going to talk and just share kind of things that I'm thinking about. Because you're wanting to try and understand what's happening here, but you're also wanting to see the Lord talking to you. So when he says, follow me, can you, did you imagine yourself, Jesus, saying to you, follow him? When he says, I'll make you fishers of men, I thought, I wonder what they thought of that saying. You know, it's not like a normal saying. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they had to imagine, I imagine they knew what he was talking about. And here these are fishermen. I'm thinking, Lord, all in the, just in the natural day of work, here Jesus comes, he calls them, says, follow me, and they were brought to a decision right there. And the scripture says they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, just because I've studied this before, I know that they didn't immediately follow Jesus in that they were forsaking everything right at first. There was a period of time, and I think that's going to come in here. But... I'm saying, Lord, I want, when I hear your voice calling me, give me a response that acts immediately. Whether it's to get that time with you in the morning, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to set that time. I don't think it's going to kill me. It might feel like it's going to kill me to get up and get that going, but I'm going to do it, and you're going to help me. Give me that strength to trust that you're going to help me in that. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. Now, what do we know about James and John? What were they known as? Sons of Thunder. So I'm thinking here, um, what kind of man was Zebedee? You know, here, here's sons. Are they get up and they're running away? <laughs> Sometimes we, we have to respond to the Lord even though our family may not respond the same way. And that didn't stop them. I hope that his, their father was proud of his sons in their call to follow Jesus. But they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Is there something, Lord, in my life that I have that I am unwilling? You know, when we, Shelly and I, were uh, just married, six, six weeks after we were married, we were on a plane to South Korea where we went as student missionaries. We were there for a year. We came back to Southern. We were, um, I finished my undergrad in theology there. Our senior year, we, Elijah was born. And we felt that the Lord was calling us back into the mission field for a time. 
And I can't explain the wrestling that was, how different it was going with a child than before. And just wrestling, Lord, am I putting my family in danger or am I putting my family before you? You know, that, that's that wrestling. And sometimes we go through those wrestlings. And so when I see this and that family thing, I mean, they left their father, the father's going to have to, these were his sons. I mean, I don't know what all happened in that business. I have to believe that the Lord blessed them. But I want to say, Lord, my first and foremost priority is to listen to your voice. And if you call me to follow you, everything else is going to be all right. Let's switch to the page here. The call by the sea. Day was breaking over the Sea of Galilee. See the day break upon the campground this morning? Oh, it's beautiful. The disciples, weary with a night of fruitless toil, were still in their fishing boats on the lake. I think, Lord, there have been so many times where I've felt fruitless. <laughs> I can uh, imagine that. You know, my boys are mega-booking this summer. They're here at camp meeting, but they, they took the week to come to camp meeting, but they're mega-booking. And just the prayer each day when they're out in the field, just the burden that is to get those books out. And, and when they call and they've had a hard day, oh, it's so hard. You just plead, Lord, please help them. Uh, you know, just that fruitlessness, it's an awful feeling. Jesus had come to spend a quiet hour by the waterside. Just imagine Jesus coming there. In the early morning, he hoped for a little season of rest from the multitude that followed him day after day. So why did Jesus get up early? <laughs> yeah, so he could have that, that quiet time away from the crowd. But soon the people began to gather about him. Their numbers rapidly increased so that he was pressed upon all sides. Meanwhile, the disciples had come to land. In order to escape the pressure of the multitude, Jesus stepped into Peter's boat. So imagine this. Everyone's crowding about him. says, Peter, come here. I need to get into your boat. And he asked him. He bade him pull out a little from the shore. Here Jesus could be better seen and heard by all. And from the boat he taught the multitude on the beach. Oh, I love this next sentence. What a scene was this for angels to contemplate. I think, Lord, if the angels love to contemplate that, could I not pause for a moment and contemplate the scene as well? So just think about it. Meditate on that. Christ in the boat. He's on the water. And not just the people about there watching him, but imagine the angels of heaven gathered to watch, as it says here, their glorious commander sitting in a fisherman's boat, swayed to and fro by the restless waves, and proclaiming the good news of salvation to the listening throng that were pressing down to the water's edge. I mean, just a beautiful scene. 
He who was honored of heaven was declaring the great things of his kingdom in the open air to the common people. Just imagine what it would be like, you know, if we did that more. <laughs> oh, to, to take a Sabbath afternoon and, or a Sunday, and not just for pleasure, but to go into the scenes of nature to contemplate the Word of God. I mean, just imagine, there were crowd, these are crowds here. They weren't coming there to just fall asleep and be bored, right? <laughs> They're captivated by it. I think, Lord, what I, I mean, I want to be captivated by this. Yet he could have no more fitting scene for his labors. The lake, the mountain, the spreading fields, the sunlight flooding the earth, all furnished objects to illustrate his lessons and impress them upon the mind. And no lesson of Christ fell fruitless. I think about when I, when I read that is, Lord, never let me use the, the illustration of the world in your work. Especially, you know, I'm speaking from a minister. You know, I don't want to make references to movies or some music. I mean, what place do those have in a, I'm talking secular, in a Christian's life? And I don't want to stand in the pulpit and say, and make reference to a movie, and then all of a sudden, what, what just happened? In people's minds, I just justified them going and watching that movie. Say, so, oh, the pastor must know about it. Even if I knew about it, I'm not going to say it. I'm going I'm to say, Lord, I wish I didn't know about that. <laughs> Christ illustrated from the things that he had created, those things that ennobled, enriched the mind. So not only do I want to use those things, I want to fill my mind with those things. Every message from his lips came to some soul as the word of eternal life. If you were sitting there, would you have heard that word? Can you imagine sitting there and... Have you ever talked with someone and you know that they know that you can read what their mind is thinking? <laughs> have you ever done that? <laughs> it happened to me just the other day. I'm not saying this and I don't want it to sound the wrong way but one of the gifts the Lord has given me is I can read people really well and I was talking with someone and they said a, a word they were, they were talking to myself and I told them what they were thinking about and they were shocked by it I mean they looked at me like and I looked at them and they knew that I knew what they were, what they were thinking not that I knew exactly but I could read them you know <laughs> <laughs> but just imagine that you're there at the scene and Christ looks at you and he speaks a word and it comes to you and you know that he spoke that word for you. I mean, what an incredible thought. The Lord looking at you 
and saying, and that coming to the soul as the word of eternal life. Every moment added to the multitude upon the shore. So he's there and they keep crowding in. They, they see the crowd and, and where there's a crowd, people come, right? Aged, aged men leaning upon their staffs, hardy peasants from the hills, fishermen from their toil on the lake, merchants and rabbis, the rich and learned, old and young, bringing their sick and suffering ones, pressed to hear the words of the divine teacher. To such scenes as this, the prophets had looked forward and they wrote, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, toward the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, to them did light spring up. These are the prophets. When you, when you read stuff like this, when you go back and, you, and you're reading in your night time, like I'm going to be in Isaiah tonight. I mean, you, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, they come, in a, they come to life. When you read that and you know that they were seen in prophetic vision, under the inspiration of God, they were seeing these things to come and it filled their hearts with joy. And here, people are pressing, they're seeing what the prophets prophesied. I mean, I mean that's incredible. Is the, is the light of this shining upon me? Lord, please. Beside the throng of the shores of Gennesaret, Jesus, in his sermon by the sea, had other audiences before his mind. Wow. Let this sink in deep. Looking down the ages, he saw his faithful ones in prison, in judgment hall, in, t in temptation, in loneliness, and affliction. Every scene of joy and conflict and perplexity was open before him. In the words spoken to those gathered about him, he was speaking also to those other souls, the very words that would come to them as a message of hope and trial and comfort and sorrow and heavenly light and darkness. Through the Holy Spirit, that voice which was speaking from the fisherman's boat on the Sea of Galilee would be heard speaking peace to human hearts to the close of time. What does that tell you right there? No, that tells me. This looking down the ages, it was open to him that Christ knew that I would be here this very morning. Christ knew that you were going to be here. You were in his view. How many of you have trials today? <laughs> Anyone here have temptation? <laughs> I tell you, there's not a day that goes by where the devil doesn't tempt me. <laughs> anyone in, con in, in sorrow, anyone needing the light to dispel the darkness? I mean, is that not incredible? So you're home in your room and you're reading this, all those things you're bearing, and you read that, Jesus, you're looking to me and saying this. The discourse ended. Jesus turned to Peter and bade him launch out into the sea and let down, and bade him launch out in the sea and let down his net for a draught. But Peter was disheartened. Why was he disheartened? No one's interesting to me. 
he just heard Jesus speaking words of comfort and hope and light. And the next thing, he's still disheartened. I mean, what does that tell you? Have you ever been in church and your mind was preoccupied about other things and you missed the blessing that God wanted to give? I'm not saying, I don't know. I'm not there. I can't read Peter's heart. But I just wonder, how is he disheartened? I think, Lord, would I have still been disheartened? All night he had taken nothing. During the lonely hours, he had thought of the fate of John the Baptist who was languishing alone in his dungeon. He had thought about the prospect before Jesus and his followers of the ill success of the mission to Judea and the malice of the priests and rabbis. Even his own occupation had failed him. And as he watched by the empty nets, the future had seemed dark with discouragement. Master, he said, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let the net down. I will let down the net. What we think has such a powerful impact upon our feelings, upon our attitude. Here's Peter. He's dwelling on these things. It's the same thing when the night on the lake, remember they were in gloom and despair because Jesus had sent them away and, and the storm came upon them, the Spirit of Prophecy says, to keep because... To, to take their minds off of that. But at least Peter, even though he wondered why, the Lord said it and he did it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Do you have that attitude? Even though you don't want, nevertheless, Lord, at your will. <laughs> nevertheless, Lord, at your will. Maybe there's a you know, a struggle with something in your life you want to give up, but you don't really want to give up. Maybe it's not necessarily, you know, a, a terrible sin, but something that you just want to change. You say, Lord, nevertheless, at your word, I know you're going to help me. Night was the only favorable time for fishing with the nets in the clear waters of the lake. After night, tolling all night without success, it seemed hopeless to cast the net by day. But Jesus had given the command and love for their master moved the disciples to obey. Say, Lord, may my love for you always be the motive for me to obey. <laughs> I love you, Lord. Simon and his brother together let down the net. As they attempted to draw it in, so great was the quantity of fish enclosed that it began to break. So at what point did he start to think, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> they were obliged to summon James and John to their aid. When the catch was secured, both the nets were so heavily laden that they were in danger of sinking. But Peter was unmindful now. So before he was so burdened with all those things, but now <laughs> when there is a really an imminent danger in a sense, <laughs> he's unmindful of it. He's unmindful. Where was I? Oh, yes. 
This miracle above any other he had ever witnessed was to him a manifestation of divine power. In Jesus he saw one who held all nature under his control. The presence of divinity revealed his own unholiness. I'll tell you day after day, you come to the Lord and you see who he is. And you say, woe is me, for I am undone. We see ourselves in the light of heaven. The presence of divinity revealed his own unholiness. Love for his master, shame for his unbelief, gratitude for the condescension of Christ. Above all, the sense of his uncleanness in the presence of infinite purity overwhelmed him. While his companions were securing the contents of the net, Peter fell at the Savior's feet, exclaiming, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It was the same presence of divine holiness that had caused the prophet Daniel to fall as one dead before the angel of God. So it talks about Daniel, Isaiah, woe is me. Coming down here after Isaiah 6 verse 5, humanity with its weakness and sin was brought in contrast with the perfection of divinity. And he felt altogether deficient and unholy. This is next sentence is one that I'm going to underline. Thus it has been with all who have been granted a view of God's greatness and majesty. I just think, Lord, have I really seen myself in the light of heaven? Have I really seen Jesus the way Peter saw him there? Lord, give me a picture of Jesus like that this morning. Because that response is with all who have been granted a view of God's greatness and majesty. So I'm praying, Lord, Grant me that view. Grant me that view of God's greatness and majesty. Peter exclaimed, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, yet he clung to the feet of Jesus. So what am I thinking right now? I'm imagining myself, right? I'm going a little faster because I would have, you know, I, you know, when you see, so you want to take time and meditate on that. You want to give time for God to give you that view of Christ. And then with Peter, you're saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, yet what are you doing? You're clinging to the feet of Jesus, feeling that he could not be parted from him. So you're clinging to Christ this morning. Can you, can you feel your heart kind of going out after God? You want to you you imagine, Lord... I'm saying, I'm seeing myself more clearly in that. And I feel that I have no right to be in your presence, but Lord, I cannot be parted from you. I'm clinging to your feet. How was it, Jacob? I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
The Savior answered, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. He talked to Peter that way because that was the struggle Peter was having. All that doubt, all the, the discouragement he was under because he sensed God calling him and he thought, Lord, how can I do this? How can I do this? I'm, I'm going to lose everything. My, my life is, am I too going to be thrown in prison and my life be taken? The Lord said, fear not from henceforth, you shall catch men. Notice Jesus pointed him to the work that he was going to give him to do. <laughs> now sometimes if we just keep our mind on the task that the Lord has given us to do, all the other worries, <laughs> they kind of just pale, right? It was after Isaiah had beheld the holiness of God and his unworthiness that he was entrusted with the divine message. It was after Peter had been led to self-renunciation and dependence upon divine power that he received the call to his work for Christ. She says, Until this time, the disciples hadn't fully united. They had witnessed many of his miracles. They listened to his teachings. But they had not entirely forsaken their former employment. If such, I mean, the imprisonment of John the Baptist had been to them a bit, them all a bitter disappointment. If such were to be the outcome of John's mission, they could have little hope for their master with all the religious leaders combined against him. Under the circumstances, it was a relief to them to return for a short time to their fishing. But now Jesus called them to forsake their former life and unite their interest in his. Peter had accepted the call. And then, of course, Jesus bids the others to follow. He go down, talks next about Jesus showing that he would supply their need. The next paragraph, during that sad night on the lake when they were separated from Christ, they had been hard-pressed by unbelief and weariness with fruit, fruitless toil. But his presence kindled their faith and brought them joy and success. What does that tell you? He'll do the same for me. So what would your prayer be if you read that? How would you make that a prayer? Jesus, if you're with me, my work isn't going to be fruitless. <laughs> Jesus, if you're with me, I know that I'll have your faith with me. Jesus, if you're with me today, I can face whatever comes. Maybe that day you have a trying time at work. Maybe you have a difficulty in your marriage. Maybe there's trouble with your children. And you just feel like you're just down in the dumps. But when you read something like this, with Jesus, my faith is what? Is kindled. The Lord, when Jesus is near me, my faith is strengthened. When Jesus is here, there is joy and success. So it is with us. Apart from Christ, our work is fruitless. And it is easy to distrust and murmur. <laughs> Do you find yourself murmuring? Young mothers, when your children are testing your patience? Do you ever find yourself murmuring? 
Oh, you know, I find myself so tempted to murmur. <laughs> I already told you I'm naturally critical sometimes. <laughs> oh, I don't want to murmur. So I know that I need to keep Jesus with me. I don't want to distrust. It says, when he is near and we labor under his direction, we rejoice in the evidence of his power. It is Satan's work to discourage the soul. It is Christ's work to inspire with faith and hope. So I just, you know, I just want to meditate on that. And you just, you pause and you let your mind grasp those words. Apart from Christ, our work is fruitless. Apart from Christ, our work is fruitless. Yes, today, I may come to the end of the day and it may feel like I got a lot accomplished, but if Christ wasn't with me, it's fruitless. Oh yeah, maybe the, the sticks may be up and you know the roof on or whatever. But it was fruitless for his kingdom for sure. It was fruitless for what he wanted to do in my life and in my character. It was fruitless for what I could have done for those around me. It was fruitless in the development of the character of my children. And it's easy to distrust and murmur. What are those things, Lord, that I am distrustful of. You know, one of the things that I have always had the, probably the hardest time with is that I always felt that I could pray for others and believe that God wanted to do it for them, but I had a hard time believing that God also wanted to do it for me. <laughs> but God does want to do it for me. He loves me. He loves me. Jesus loves me and he wants to be with me today. And if he's with me, my work will not be fruitless. I won't be prone to distrust his promise. I won't be prone to murmur. So when I... Now, murmuring is probably different than critical, right? Murmuring is close to complaining. <laughs> Why all that rain, Lord? <laughs> oh, right? Yes, the Lord gave us His rainbow. But He's near. We can rejoice in the evidence of His power. So I'm saying, Lord... Today, what am I going to be looking for? It's going to be another kind of treasure hunt today. Why? Because I'm going to be looking for the evidence of what? Of his power with me. That's pretty incredible. I'm going to let my mind be stayed upon him, and I'm going to be looking for the evidence that he's with me. And when I do that, I'm not going to distrust his promise. I may be faced with a trial today, but I'm going to face that with courage and with strength. And if it feels like I can't, I'm going to say, I'm not here, I'm going to turn to Jesus, right? <laughs> I, I, to, I tell my children, and I know i got to finish here. When I, you know, when I teach them how to overcome temptation, I tell them, you know, if I were always at your side, would you be as tempted to do things, you know, 
if you were going to get up at night and sneak to get something out of the refrigerator, if I was standing right there, would you do it? <laughs> right? <laughs> of course not. You know, if, if Jesus were standing right beside me and I could see him, would I be as tempted to murmur? Would I be tempted to, to distrust his promise? Jesus was right there and he looked at me and he said, Justin, today, you know you're going to, this trial, don't worry about it. I've already got another plan for that. Could I not handle that a lot better? Would I be so prone to murmur? Oh, why does the air conditioner keep freezing up? That's ours in our RV. <laughs> I don't have to murmur. Why? Because Christ is there and he has a plan. So I'd be writing these down. So what are you going to write down on your card today? This is a blessing for me because I have two cards today. I'm writing this sentence down. Apart from Christ... Comma, our work is fruitless. And it is easy to distrust and murmur. Period. And this is what I do sometimes. But when he is near, dot, 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 because it lets me think, because it's not just limited to this. So I'm, if whatever I go today, if I feel myself starting to trust, I'm just going to turn to my Savior. He's near, dot, dot, dot. Everything's going to be okay. So I would take this. And then we would go to our knees in prayer. And today, I'm going to close with prayer. For those who want to stay by a little bit longer, we can have... Uh, I want to give you time if you want to go to your knees and, and pray this prayer to do that here. I'm going to close because it's time to close and for the recording's sake. But I encourage you to take time in prayer. If you, have, if you had another 15 minutes to stay in prayer, that'd be wonderful. Tomorrow we are going to do that. Uh, I always hate to promise, but I'm going to try and do that tomorrow. We're going we're gonna to do the entire, uh, the entire thing. We'll have the devotional, then we're going to have prayer. I'm going to show you how, how rich and rewarding that is. And then we'll sing a song. So let me close with prayer as we finish today. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the richness of that scene. Our Savior, the commander of, you, of the universe, in a small wooden boat tossed to and fro on a small lake in the Middle East, 
What a scene. And yet, he was the same there as he was when he commanded the sea to be calm. He's the same there as, as he is today for us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know that the same Jesus who took the doubt and murmuring and discouragement away from Peter and the other disciples that day can do that for us this day. Apart from Christ, we know that our work is fruitless. And it becomes easy for us to distrust and murmur. But when Jesus is near and we labor under His direction, when He's at our side, we rejoice in the evidence of His power. So Lord, let us keep Jesus at our side this day. I pray for each one here as we go. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.